Welcome to Power Play. I'm Evan Solomon. On the program today, Election Day in Quebec. I think that the best bet is still a majority government for the CQ. After a contentious and controversial race, voters in Quebec are set to elect their next government. What issues have defined this race and what could the outcome signal for federal parties who are watching closely? We have continuing coverage throughout the hour of voting in Quebec. Then, another Hockey Canada secret fund. I think it shows a total lack of transparency. A new report from the Globe and Mail says Hockey Canada used players' fees to create a second fund used for sexual assault claims. Is it time for the government to dissolve this entire organization? Did Hockey Canada willfully mislead Parliament? The Minister of Sport, Pascal Saint-Ange, is going to join us with her thoughts on Hockey Canada, plus pushing back Russia. Just days after Russia claimed annexation of four areas in Ukraine, Ukrainian forces have burst through Russian lines in a major advance. Will Russia retaliate with nuclear weapons, as Putin is threatening? We'll get the latest from a Ukrainian MP, Yevhenia Kravchuk. She is in Kyiv to give us the latest. This is Power Play. Let's get to the players. Well, it is election day in La Belle Provence, Quebec. After five weeks of campaigning, Quebecers will have their say tonight, right now. Despite controversial remarks on immigration throughout the race, maybe because of them, that's even more worrisome, incumbent Premier Francois Legault and his coalition Avenir Quebec are expected to pull out a resounding victory. How the rest of the race shakes out may be what everyone's watching for. Let me just give you a, a précis if you're not following closely at the party leaders. Parti liberal uh, Quebec leader Dominique Anglade, then there's the conservative leader who was on this program, Eric Duhaime, watch him, we'll see where he ends up tonight. Coalition Avenir Quebec leader, of course, the incumbent, the former premier there, François Legault, looks like he'll win. Then there's Quebec Solidaire co-spokespeople Manon Masse and Gabriel Nadeau-Dubois, We'll see how they do. I think they'll be vying for second. Parti Québécois leader Paul Saint-Pierre Plamadon is also there. Now, the polls close later tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern time, but already Quebec has seen a record-breaking 1.5 million people cast their ballots in the advanced poll. Now, let's get the latest from CTV's Vanessa Lee. She's live in Montreal. Uh, this has been a divisive campaign. Vanessa, what have been the defining issues here? Well, we've been speaking to voters all day long, Evan, here at this polling station in Beaconsfield, which is a suburb of Montreal. And what's driving them to the polls, well, a lot of people to the polls, is really two big issues. One is Bill 96. Bill 96 is the overhauling of the Charter of the French Language. Essentially, it aims to strengthen the use of French in Quebec, but also further restricts the use of English. And that is what a lot of people are not happy about, because this affects day-to-day -day life. Everything from the use of English, further restricting the use of English in junior colleges to the workplaces. So being an Anglophone, a largely Anglophone community here, people are outraged about that. There is also outrage over comments made on immigration. We heard Jean Boulet, who is the CAQ's immigration minister, tell a local debate that 80% of immigrants come to Montreal, they don't speak French, they don't work, and they don't accept Quebec values, which of course immigrants and children of immigrants have lashed out on social media saying that is categorically untrue. And then after that, well, Francois Legault, he denounced those comments, but then he turned heads before a speech before the Montreal Chamber of Commerce 
when he said it would be suicidal to accept more than 50,000 immigrants a year in Quebec. And he was referring to the decline of the French language. But despite these very controversial comments, at least really in Montreal, it's really caused a stir here. It all comes down to the math. There are only 27 seats up for grabs in Montreal. The rest is in the region. So that's 98 seats. And Francois Legault has really strong support in the regions, and that is what we think is going to propel him to victory tonight, Evan. All right, CTV's Vanessa Lee. What a, what a roundup, Vanessa. You're absolutely right. What many believe have been the controversial issues may, in fact, lock down the victory for the CAQ, the CAC. CTV's Vanessa Lee will have a busy night ahead. Vanessa, thanks for giving us the latest. Uh, I'm going to continue our coverage now. What does tonight's outcome in Quebec mean for the rest of the country? What should you be watching for? What does this turnout mean? Now, let's dig further in. Uh, joining me now, 338 Canada and uh, QC125 creator Philippe Fournier and the Montreal-based commentator and journalist Anne uh, Legas uh, Dowson. She's also run twice as a federal NDP candidate. Uh, great to have you here. Philippe, uh, First of all, let's talk about what maybe the, the turnout's a big story, but what are the storylines you're watching for? Well, we know from the polling that we had not just in the last few days, but in the last few months, that the CAQ has a massive advantage over its rivals. The storylines tonight are still there because the difference between having one PQ MA or six, difference between having Quebec Solidaire as the official opposition or the Liberals, are, you know, these outcomes are dramatically different. And so we will be watching a bunch, uh, about 20 to 25 seats that will determine the outcome of the opposition. The, uh, the CEQ should win around 90 seats outside of Montreal and maybe a handful inside of Montreal. And so that should make for a comfortable majority for Francois Legault. Uh, and key issues that have defined this election and what are you watching for playing out tonight? So as Philippe was saying, it's really a race to see who forms opposition because it's pretty clear that the CAC is going to pick up a majority of seats and possibly increase its majority. Um, but as Vanessa Lee so rightly pointed out, there's a lot of irritation and anger on Montreal Island about the handling of the immigration file. And it's interesting because François Legault has historically not been a guy who would go out on these issues. He's more of a marketing guy, a business guy. I live in the shadow of the Air Transat headquarters, the company he founded and made a fortune with. He's a, he's a corporate accountant, this guy. So he's been very good about his line, his spin. He hired McKinsey to help him with his spin during the, the, um, the COVID pandemic. And so he has basically dominated the scene for the entire duration of his uh, his last mandate. So it's whether it's really to see whether the liberals survive, the provincial liberals under Dominique Anglade survive to form opposition, mm. or whether the upstart party, Quebec Solidaire, uh, takes that position, and whether uh, Eric Duhem's Conservative Party gets any seats. Philippe, if you are watching from, if you're one of the federal parties watching this, you're watching the CAC. You're watching what's connecting for Legault. You're watching uh, the kind of remarkable rise of Duhem that uh, Anne just talked about. The, Co the Conservative Party, just for, so if you don't follow Quebec politics, they have been dead for generations. So they've come back. Uh, what should federal parties be taken away from this? 
Well, that's an inter interesting question because I think, you know, both uh, Justin Trudeau and Pierre Poilievre know uh, if they win the next election, they will have to deal with François Legault. However, uh, looking at François Legault's demeanor during this campaign, it, you know, he looked old and he looked grumpy at times. And uh, there was much <laughs> speculation from, you know, mm -hmm. good sources that indicate that uh, Monsieur Legault will probably not uh, seek a third term. And so the day after this election today could be the first day of the leadership race for the next CEQ leader. Now, I don't want to get ahead of myself. It's the election, but it's still something that's going to be on, on the minds of a lot of people because, again, over 90 seats in Quebec, in the National Assembly, we haven't seen this since the mid-80s. This is a dominant, dominant party right now in Quebec politics. The opposition is very split, and we do not see how it could settle in, in a short term, at least. Yeah, and what do you watch? If you're a federal party and you're like, okay, we're peering into Quebec, um, we've got to win there. What are the lessons to learn from this uh, provincial election? So, you know, Eric Duhem, the leader of the Conservative Party, is a former shock jock radio guy from Quebec City where everybody listens to radio because they all drive. Uh, so uh, this guy has a certain sway in, you know, Maxime Bernier country, like in the Beauce and that kind of thing. And he is a friend or at least an acquaintance of Pierre Poitiers. They both were on the hill at the same time. Uh, I'm not sure what the significance of that is, but I think there's something there. Um, meanwhile, the PQ is basically falling off the radar. It's not even clear if their leader will hold the seat. So what we're seeing is a, a generational reconfiguration of the landscape. And I'm, I'll be watching to see what happens to the Liberals and the Pekists tonight and what uh, happens to the upstart uh, Quebec Solidaire. Uh, which a fair number of Anglos voted for, I, sus I suspect, interestingly, as the Liberal Party declines. Um, and then I guess we'll see what happens with Duhem. So, But Duhem is a guy who has a link to the Federal Conservative Party. Yeah. Yeah, and it's if interesting to see. In here, again, yeah. yeah, real real quick, yeah, Philippe. Yeah, I think is we have to remember also that the last federal elections, plural, the conservatives, the federal conservatives get 15, 16, 17 percent of the vote. And this is what Eric Duhem is projected to get. So there is no conservative wave right now in Quebec. Eric Duhem has, has, of course, had a good campaign in the last six months, but there's no uh, surge of the conservative uh, in Quebec. No, they, but they may be rising to a certain level. Uh, just interesting if, you know, to see the CAC looks like they're going to cruise. Remember what, you know, tough measures he took during COVID crisis with the toughest measures, of course, yeah. um, you know, with the curfews. And yet he looks like he's going to cruise to victory. Uh, Philippe Fournier and Lagasse Dawson, great to have the two of you here. Um, you are very, Pleasure. both very lucky to be able to cover such exciting politics in Quebec. Always exciting to see an election there. Thanks, both of you. Never a dull moment Thank here. Thank you, Evan. Yeah. Never a dull moment in Quebec. Coming up, new allegations against Hockey Canada. This is remarkable. I mean, it's almost stunning. The Globe and Mail reported today that the organization used players' fees to create not just the one fund that we already knew about, a second fund to pay for sexual assault claims. Uh, what will it take for the leadership overhaul? Is there more the federal government needs to do? We'll find out when the Minister of Sport, Pascal Saint-Ange, joins us next. Stay with us. Shake your head. 
Just shake your head. Hockey Canada under fire again over how it's been dealing or not dealing with sexual assault claims. Listen to this. There's a new report in the Globe today. The organization Hockey Canada used players' fees to create not just one, but now, turns out, a second multi-million dollar fund to pay off, among other things, sexual assault allegations and claims. The report says the fund, called the Participants' Legacy Trust Fund, was set up to handle claims from incidents occurring between 1986 to 1995. Back in July, of course, it was revealed through TSN and others that Hockey Canada used money built through player fees, so hard-working parents paying fees for their kids to play hockey, and those fees were used not to support hockey, but to quietly settle sexual assault allegations against the 2018 World Junior Team. This latest allegation, though, comes ahead of an ongoing Hockey Canada testimony before a Heritage Committee that will continue tomorrow. So is there more the federal government can do to ensure transparency? And is this organization even viable? Can the federal government trust them? Let's find out. We're joined now by the Minister of Sport, Pascal Saint-Ange. Uh, Minister, thanks for being here. What was your reaction when you heard that there wasn't just one so-called secret fund, but there was a second fund used to pay off sexual assault claims? It seems that uh, these days every week brings a little bit more disappointment in regards to Hockey Canada and their management. They had already testified before Parliament Committee. Yeah. Did they disclose that there was a, and one fund was known? MPs knew about it. Did they ever disclose that there was actually another fund used to pay off more claims of sexual assault or, or allegations of it? To my knowledge, it wasn't disclosed uh, during the Heritage Committee audience. Um, so it was an omission. They uh, didn't talk about that second fund. It was an omission. Is it? That's the sin of omission. So they did not proactively disclose. So they, you asked about a fund. MPs from all parties asked, they disclosed the one fund, but this new fund, they just decided not to mention it. Do you consider that a willful act of lying, omission, or lack of transparency? How do you characterize that? I think we can talk about a lack of transparency, uh, not only in regards to their testimony with the Heritage Committee, and by the way, I think that my colleagues are doing a tremendous job uh, trying to shed light, light on, uh, on this organization, but also by not telling parents what the reg registration fees are, are being used for. Uh, so, yeah, total lack of transparency. But what message is it to, to appear before a parliamentary committee investigating money used from participants to pay off sexual assault and they have a second fund that they don't bother to disclose? What message is that sending to you? Well, to me, it's, the, the message it's sending is that uh, they're assessing their, the sexual violence problem through a risk management lens and through an insurance lens uh, and a money problem, basically, instead of fighting the problem at the root. Do you trust the leadership of Hockey Canada? I've said it before. I think uh, the trust has been broken um, because for decades uh, they've known about the, the sexual violence allegations. They've heard the Sheldon Kennedy story. They promised Canadians that they would change their culture. And nothing, has, not, nothing significant has happened. This almost makes it worse, though. Now there's another fine. Okay, so what would your preference be to completely get rid of this organization and the leadership of that organization? Uh, yeah, I've, I've already said for weeks that there needs to be change in leadership at Hockey Canada, but uh, I don't think it can wait any longer. Uh, there needs to be new people with new, new expertise coming in to uh, operate that change uh, within Hockey Canada. They, okay, uh, 
I want to know what tools you have. You yeah. wrote this. At the time of the funding freeze in June, Minister of Sport, you specified three requirements for renewal. The completion of a financial audit of Hockey Canada to ensure no public funds were used in settlement. Yeah. Has that been done? Oh, it's, uh, it's ongoing. But, and now this was revealed in it. Crazy. Hockey Canada become a signatory to the Office of Sport Integrity Commissioner. Have they yet done that? I know that they're in process of signing up, but they, to my knowledge, they haven't signed up yet. And the reason why it's so important is that w when they sign up with the office, they will no longer have an overview or control over third-party investigation. Right. And this is fundamental. The NDP is calling on the federal government to do a full audit of Hockey Canada finances going back to 2016. It just seems now with the Globe's revelation, do you support that? We're looking at uh, how far behind we can, uh, we can move forward, but certainly I think we can uh, audit uh, up until uh, 2016. Tomorrow, the former chair of the board of directors, Michael Brindamore, and the interim chair of the board of directors will be testifying. What do you need to hear tomorrow? I need to hear that, they're gonna be, that there's going to be change in the management at Hockey Canada and that uh, they're taking uh, the work that needs to be done to change the culture of violence and sexual violence in hockey needs to start today. How about also, what's this money been used for? Why can't Canadian, the parents who paid for this, yeah. what incidents were they covered up? Where are the allegations? How many more have happened? Do we know any of that? Yeah, I think Hockey Canada owes transparency to their parents and their members. Uh, they are, there are voting members, and uh, I think that there's a general assembly that's going to come up. And uh, I think that they should ask also Hockey Canada for more transparency and how they're using the funds. Would you describe this second fund as a, a secret fund? Did you, were you, as a minister of sport, the government supported Hockey Was the government ever aware that there was a secret slush fund for this? Well, it probably appears in the financial uh, papers. I'm, I, I don't know what we're responsible for is making sure that the money, that the federal money, uh, it, there are clear rules about how it should be used. So we follow up to make sure that it's used the way that they're supposed okay, to. Okay, but do you know, can you say with certainty that no federal money was used to pay off allegations of sexual abuse? That's why we're conducting the audit to make but, sure that it's not the case. Could there be more funds? Like... We've now had two. How, how, do we have any clue? I think that uh, any surprise can come up uh, because of the new revelations. What is your, it's uh, October. Um, I know because I was a coach for, in, in the Hockey Canada organization for years. What do you say to parents right now who are signing their kids up to play in leagues, in Hockey Canada leagues right now, and yeah. they're looking at this, frankly, they are livid. What do you say to them right now? I think that they, uh, they need to ask uh, Hockey Canada for more transparency and they, they, they need to use, uh, they need to ask themselves if they want to send reg registration fees right now to Hockey Canada. Final question. Do you think this, uh, like we've heard about Gymnastics Canada allegations, now we've heard about Hockey Canada, how many sports organizations that the government has supported may have these secret funds? Do you have any idea or have you conducted a survey of that? No, we're, right now what we're doing is we're reviewing the whole funding system, uh, which means that we're going to review all the requirements that the sport organization need to meet to receive uh, federal funding. Uh, so we're going to review the governance of uh, the governance structure, uh, the transparency, uh, and also how they uh, assess those cases that, uh, when, whenever they, uh, they come up. It's just, it's shocking stuff. Okay, I got to leave it there. Minister of Sport, uh, Pascal Saint-Ange, great to have you on the program. I appreciate it. Thank you very much.
Uh, if you're a parent out there, I, you're probably like me, kind of shaking your head in fury. Still to come, clawing back. Despite the Russian claims of annexation, Ukrainian forces have scored more extraordinary gains. What, what, what a battle. Can Ukraine keep the momentum? And as Vladimir Putin threatens to use nuclear weapons, how is Ukraine responding? We have a Ukrainian MP, a member of the government in Ukraine, live in Kyiv next. Stay with us. Ukraine claims another extraordinary victory. The Ukrainian president, Vladimir Zelensky, says East, the eastern city of Lyman is now fully cleared of Russian forces. This is a critical issue and a critical city for Ukraine because it is a heavy railway junction. And it's not just the eastern city of Lyman. Zelensky says Ukraine also took back uh, control of small settlements in the Kherson region. Kherson, a very important city that they're aiming for now. The breakthrough they all deliver a blow to one of the four areas in Ukraine that the Kremlin bogusly claimed uh, in referenda last week to now be part of Russia. The West doesn't buy that. Earlier today, the Kremlin addressed nuclear weapons, saying Russia prefers a balanced approach, not one based on emotion, but they said that the West has dropped two nuclear weapons and, quote, set the precedent. What do those comments mean, and how is Ukraine interpreting them? Let's find out. Joining me now is Yevhenia Kravchuk. She is an MP with the governing Servant of the People Party. She is in the Ukrainian capital of Kyiv. Ms. Kravchuk, thank you so much for being here. Uh, give us a sense of this remarkable counteroffensive and the speed of which is going in the eastern part of Ukraine. Uh, Lyman is back in, which is in the eastern part, is back in Ukrainian control. What can you tell us about the, the, the latest in the, in the war in the east? Uh, well, actually, the operation of um, uh, season Liman in this uh, Donetsk region in the east uh, was uh, very important for us because it's crucial point uh, where our uh, armed forces from which they can go uh, also to liberate uh, the north of Luhansk region and also uh, the other parts of Donetsk region. And it's, uh, um, um, it's you know, close to us, uh, there is a road which is very important for the supplies. And now this road is uh, um, under control of Ukrainian troops. Uh, but also at the same time, we have counterattack on the south uh, at Kherson region and in just a few days um, we have liberated up to seven that's official you know villages but um, I think it's more but we need to wait until um, there be official information about the liberation of those uh, areas and that's uh, actually pretty close to Kherson which is um, uh, you know the, the regional center and um, is occupied now by Russia but it's very close Vladimir Putin's now had these bogus referenda, and he's claimed this is now Russian territory. He's now threatening to use nuclear weapons. There was a tweet from the Russian embassy today saying the Americans set a, a, a precedent doing it. Is Ukraine concerned that Vladimir Putin cornered might use nuclear weapons in your country? Uh, well, he's not threatening us, he's threatening the whole world. Just, you know, I'll, I'll uh, tell you a very simple metaphor. Uh, you live in an apartment and uh, your neighbor um, gives executive orders saying that he's annexing your apartment. And also he threatens other neighbors to blow up the house. That's how it looks like. 
So all of the neighbors should uh, unite and um, you know get rid of, of, of this intruder, you know, this terrorist, uh, which is uh, um, you know threatening the whole world. Um, and uh, does it mean these threats that we will not go to our land, to Ukrainian land? No, of course we will be liberated, and there is no other way for us because mm. that's our home. We don't have any places to go. Okay, so so. But they have, he is threatening them uh, to do that. Just very quickly, I know Ukraine's been formally applying to fast-track membership to NATO. That would still take years. Was that essentially a um, response to the Putin referenda, the annexation? Well, I would say that's a response for the will of Ukrainian people. Uh, now the 84% um, uh, of Ukrainians uh, want to join NATO. And we understand that NATO is the best way to secure that uh, after our victory, because, you know, we're sure that we will be fighting for, for our victory as long as it takes. Um, and, you know, with our troops. Um, but after that, we need security guarantees that Russia doesn't come back. So that's why we need NATO. And, uh, um, you know, uh, saying that, uh, well, we have a border with Russia, then no, we need to be a neutral country. Look at uh, Finland. Finland has around 1,000 of miles of border with Russia. Yeah. And, you know, it's perfectly okay to join NATO. We do not understand why it has to be, you know, double standards for Ukraine. It's an absolutely fair point and, and highlighted more since the, uh, the, the invasions that began, as you say, in 2014. I, I do have to leave it there. A remarkable fight. Uh, continue that, please. Uh, Yehenia Kravchuk, MP uh, in the capital. Thank you. After the break, Quebec Election Watch. Polls in Quebec are set to close in just, well, just over two hours from now. What could the future be for Francois Legault? Everyone thinks he's going to be another victory. Who will be in second? What should you watch for tonight? The press gallery is going to break down election night in Quebec next. Stay with us. It is election night in Quebec, and the uh, Coalition Avenir Quebec leader, Francois Legault, is desperately trying to secure his second big majority, and it's pretty likely he'll get it, given his party has been leading in the polls throughout the campaign. Despite some election controversies, because of some election controversies over immigration, Mr. Legault, he had to apologize for some comments made about immigration and the systemic racism in the province, but he's still in the lead. The big election battle has been over second place. Quebec Liberal leader Dominique Anglade is trying to hold on to her official opposition status, fending off challenges from the Quebec Solidaire and, guess what, the rising Quebec Conservatives. They have been surging in the polls under their sh former shock jock radio leader, Eric Duhem. Uh, the magic number to get a majority in the Quebec National Assembly, the Assemblée Nationale, is 63. At dissolution, Legault's CAC uh, held a majority at 76 seats. So here are the numbers, 76, 27, 10, 7, 1. So what's at stake for Canada's second most populous province? And what should you be watching for? The press gallery is going to weigh in on that throughout the rest of our show. CTV National News Ottawa Bureau Chief Joyce Napier is here, Toronto Star's Bureau Chief Robert Benzies here. Our special guest for this round is La Presse's Ottawa Bureau. God, if you're not a bureau chief here, you're not on the show today. Joël Denis Bellavance, my God. Sorry that I'm wrecking the bureau chief's party, everybody, on election night, but I'll start with you, Joël Denis. 
My gosh, the titles. Uh, what are you watching for tonight? What storylines? Well, obviously, the strength of Mr. François Legault's majority. We expect that he could win up to 90 seats, which would be a massive majority in the National Assembly. But secondly, what I'll be watching, whether the party leaders of the Liberal Party, uh, the Parti Québécois, and uh, Éric Duhem, the, the Conservative Party leader, will remain or win their seats. And thirdly, uh, and that's a big one, uh, whether the Parti Québécois will survive uh, beyond this election mm. because the Parti Québécois, who used to be you know, a powerful force in Quebec, may not win more than three seats, which would probably uh, be uh, the beginning of the end of that party. Right. They'll be Elsie Wayne, as we might say federally, Joyce. Uh, <laughs> what are you watching? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sharon, Elsie Wayne. What, what are you watching for tonight? Well, I'm watching, uh, like Joël Denis, I want to know how many seats, really, how many seats, because we've heard 90, 95 seats, which is a huge majority. Now, I don't know if the gaffes, uh, and, I, and I'm kind when I call them gaffes, about immigration and those comments. Uh, the fact that it was a pretty divisive campaign when you refuse, like Monsieur Legault has, to do an English debate in Quebec. Um, you know, he decided he was not going to, in the words of somebody today, seduce the Anglo vote. Uh, I want to see how Dominique Anglade, the Liberal Party leader, is going to do, how many seats she has, if she hangs on to opposition, because she had a hard time now in this post-sovereignty uh, world in Quebec. Uh, it's dormant right now. So, you know, there's no talk about, you know, a sovereignty or, or referendums. I'm curious to see how she will do and whether the Liberals will hang on to, the, to, to opposition or whether it will be a completely fractured opposition. Well, with, with Legault's language loss, he certainly wasn't seducing the no, Anglophones no, before no, the election. No. Okay, let's go to our senior bureau chief correspondent from what we call affectionately ROC, the rest of Canada. How is this election relevant if you are outside of Quebec, uh, Benzie? It's hugely relevant, Evan. I mean, I mean uh, Francois Legault is the second most powerful uh, premier in Canada after Premier Doug Ford, whose office is two floors down from where I'm sitting right now. And Legault and Ford have worked very closely, even though they, they may not always agree on, on things. They worked closely during the pandemic. Uh, and I think uh, that after Mr. Legault is reelected tonight, and I think he will get reelected, and I think uh, Joel Denis and, and Joyce are correct, that he may win more seats than he had uh, at dissolution, as Doug Ford did in June, uh, you'll see a congratulatory note from Ontario to Quebec. Uh, because these two premiers have worked closely together. Remember, they're in cahoots uh, lobbying Ottawa for more money uh, without any strings attached uh, for health care funding and, and other things. So I think this is an important election. I'm going to be watching uh, you guys tonight, and, and, and it's, 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 fascinating. it's a fascinating election because, as Yaldini said, could it be a historic one? Could he win 90 seats? I don't know if he will win as, uh, that many, but, I mean, if he did, out of 125, that's, a, that's almost too many seats, Evan. You know, it's, a, it's an embarrassment of riches. You don't want that many uh, MLAs, MNAs. Well, you probably do want them uh, if you're in power. But, Joel Denis, it's kind of interesting what Ben said, because they are two peas in a pod, right? Very similar stances on the pandemic, uh, very similar stance on health care vis-a-vis the federal government. They are kind of, you know, you don't see this that often, but Quebec and Ontario are very much in lockstep. What issues, uh, Joel Denis, have defined this campaign? Well, immigration is definitely one of them. Um, and as uh, Joyce said, Mr. Mr. Legault made some controversial comments. He apologized for them as, because he associated the immigration with violence. And soon after that, there was a backlash and he had to apologize. But 
uh, I want to add to some points that Robert just made. Um, in not too long ago, Mr. François Legault was seen as the most powerful premier in Canada. He had a rapport de force that was quite yeah. uh, amazing and in impressive because, you know, of, the, of his popularity and what he had achieved as uh, the leader of the Coalition Avenir Québec. Now that power, that rapport de force has shifted to one person. And that person is Doug Ford because he managed to stay neutral in the last federal election as opposed to, for example, François Legault, mm. who actively campaigned for uh, the Conservative Party, but yeah. it, it didn't change the mind of Quebecers. And also, Monsieur Ford stayed neutral and he managed to make some uh, investments with Ottawa in the automotive, automobile sector that brought along the support of unions in the last provincial election in Ontario, which is a big feat. So. Mr. Doug Ford, because he stayed neutral, increased his rapport de force with Ottawa, and that's a unanimous uh, um, assessment in Ottawa. I talked to some cabinet ministers today, and they all agree with that. François Legault does not have the same kind of rapport de force that he used to, yeah. and now it's all uh, in Doug Ford's uh, court. You want to pick up on that? Yeah, but, and, and yet, you know, there are no Ottawa politicians, no federal politicians who want to criticize Quebec for Bill 21, Bill 96. So right. he does have, uh, he still does have that. Uh, he's comfortable in, in the knowledge that no, Quebec po no politician who needs Quebec right. is going to attack him on the controversial things uh, he does. And we know that. Uh, we see that. Also, I mean, you know, uh, he is nothing, François Legault, if he is not a pragmatist. And and a practical fellow. And he realized that sovereignty was not for now. He's not saying not for never, but not for now. So, you know, he put that, he put that on the side and then turned around and said about the liberals, well, now they're irrelevant because they were all about the federalist versus the sovereignist. He was a diehard sovereignist and said of himself, I am the most sovereignist of sovereignists, but now he's not. So right. is, can he make deals with people? Yeah, he's a deal maker. And, you know, Quebec economy is doing well. So there's that. There's the management of the pandemic. Okay, it was the, his... his uh, his restrictions were the worst in Canada. They were the strictest, yeah. the most yeah. stringent in Canada. It was very controversial. And yet, that was not the issue. The economy, right. yes, pocketbook issues, but not that much. And, you know, as Joël Denis says, it was, it was the controversies. Uh, but I, you know what I want to know is how many people are actually going to vote? And, yeah. you know, turn what's the percentage yeah. of people mm. going to turn out? Well, we've, uh, had, we've had a million and a half already. Just so, you, like, yeah. the turnout... And Ben's just real quick on that. Yeah. Turnout so far, interesting. Joyce has yeah. been high, so we'll find. I'm, I'm intrigued yeah. where that ends up too. Uh, Ben's yeah, I mean, last yeah, one too. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, Joyce raised a very good point. I, I, in terms of turnout, Evan, I, I, I know I saw that a, a record 1.5 million advanced uh, votes cast. That's really great sign. Uh, except that it could be a lot of people, the people who plan to vote have already voted. And then if it, if it turns out that it's only, you know, 40, we had on, in Ontario 43% in June, that was a really depressingly low turnout. Uh, I, I hope it's not that low in Quebec. I hope that, that what happened in advanced polls is an indicator that many more people are going out to vote because that's what democracy needs. We do not need, as we saw in Italy last week, 64% voted. That was a record low there for their elections. I, I don't think we want to see something like that in Quebec tonight, and I hope we don't. 
Yeah, let's watch that. Okay, uh, I know Joel Denis Bellavance, great to have you on the program. I know you got a busy night ahead watching this race unfold. Uh, Joyce and Benz are going to stick around because we're going to do another round on that. I want to get to some news you need to know because Canada is now leveling new sanctions against Iran in response to the ongoing violent protests there. The sanctions target 25 individuals, nine entities, and includes banning them from ever entering this country and freezing their assets. Canada is also sanctioning the head of Iran's so-called morality police, the major general of the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, as well as Iran's Minister of Intelligence and Security. Remember, anti-government protests erupted on September 17th after the death of this extraordinary woman, Masha Amini, a 22-year-old Iranian Kurdish woman. She was killed after being detained by Iran's morality police because she was not wearing her head covering. Iran's leader has condemned the protests, claiming they're a plot by the West to destabilize the government. The propaganda is infuriating. Uh, by the way, extraordinary bravery going on in Iran right now by a lot of young people, millions of them. Uh, what could the results of the Quebec election be as we turn back to that? Uh, we're going to continue our coverage as that election's unfolding. And the former NDP leader and CTV political news commentator Tom Mulcair will jump in the chair for his views. Stay right here with Power Play. Election night in Quebec. We love elections here at Power Play. During this time as Premier, Francois Legault has made national headlines by invoking the notwithstanding clause twice, of course, for the controversial Bill 21, the secularism law that bans public servants from wearing religious symbols. Very popular in Quebec, not outside of Quebec. Then he went, you know what, I like another controversy on language. So he did Bill 96, which passed this year that seeks to protect French by limiting the use of English in courts and public services. He's also, uh, throughout the campaign, decided to make very controversial comments about immigrants and immigration levels. And guess what? He looks like he's cruising for another win. What should we be watching for? And why is all this so popular inside Quebec? Uh, the press galleries here are CTV National News Ottawa Bureau Chief George Napier's back, the Toronto Star's Queen's Park Bureau Chief Robert Benzie's back, and we now bring in our CTV political analyst and roving reporter who's at a polling station, a former NDP leader, Tom Weir. What won't this guy do? Tom, you're out there getting, getting the feel for the peeps. Uh, what are you watching for tonight? And, and, and I was sort of listing those controversies for people across the country. Outside of the country, people might be scratching their head of why this is making him so popular. Can you explain that riddle? I really wish I could, but I can't. And I'm being sincere when I say that. Uh, attacking religious minorities the way he did with Bill 21 and Muslim women in particular, going after the English-speaking community. Uh, you know, when you say you're going to take away the constitutionally guaranteed right to use English and French in the courts or to have them completely equal before the courts, you'd think somebody would stand up in Ottawa. On the contrary, they said, no, no, they can change the BNA Act uh, unilaterally and remove those guaranteed rights. So it's been distressing for people in Quebec who care about rights, because we tend to feel that people should have the same rights guaranteed from coast to coast. Uh, Mr. Legault is also playing a game of dog whistle politics, has been doing that. When he talked, you mentioned it, about immigration, for example, conflating immigrants with violence and extremism. But he was outdone by his immigration minister um, when he said that 80% of immigrants don't work, can't speak French, and don't share Quebec values. And none of that was true. 
um, especially the work part, because immigrants tend to work more, if anything, you know, than other Quebecers. So it's one of those situations where you have to sense that after one mistake, you can say, OK, move on. But when it becomes a series of statements like that, it becomes an obvious part of an electoral strategy. Joyce, you, you mentioned that and, and just all of those things, the immunity Legault has, it's popular in Quebec and federal politicians, you know, they dance around it. Maybe Justin Trudeau will or will not intervene in the courts, but they've essentially done rien, because nothing. No, and I mean, his stand on immigration, I mean, think about it. It does not make any sense when you have such a, an incredible and probably historic labor shortage all across the country and in Quebec as well. So here are business people telling Legault, no, no, get more immigrants in, bring them in, we'll teach them French if that is right. what we have to do. So it, it is definitely, the game is called very simply wedge politics, yeah. right? And that's the game uh, he decided to play. We thought we were, you know, sort of beyond that, especially picking on, on, on immigrants when he says that 80% come to Montreal, don't work. And well, actually, Monsieur Rugo, 82% speak French or eventually speak French. And those are figures that his immigration minister knew. So my question is, was he really in bad faith? It's not even a mistake because those figures, if they're available to me and Tom and, and anybody else, they were available. Yeah. So you were playing a game uh, that, yeah. you know, I bet that Ottawa politicians will be very uncomfortable with. Ben, Ben's, the focus on immigration is something we, we have seen in other elections across the country, but never like this in Quebec. It has been one of those key issues. What do you make of it from where you're sitting in Toronto? Well, you know what? Xenophobia, xenophobia has always sold quite well in Quebec, unfortunately, in po political circles. Uh, remember, I was in, in Montreal in, uh, that night in 1995 when uh, then Premier Parizeau was smarting after losing the referendum, and he, and he blamed the loss on, on uh, uh, Ang Anglos money and, and the, the ethnic ethnics. Vote. Money and the ethnic vote. Money and, and the ethnic and, vote. And, yeah, right. yeah. Money and the ethnic vote. And it was, it was a dark thing. And I remember we talked to the Premier Parizeau the next day in Quebec City when he when he called it quits and you know we were asking him were you drunk when you said those things and he said he wasn't but I mean I just think there is a strain unfortunately uh, of xenophobia and I don't think Quebecers are more racist than uh, people in other parts of Canada I don't believe that I do understand why they feel their language is threatened I get that and and French Canadians uh, have been have been uh, largely an oppressed minority in this country for the past 155 years. But I think uh, it, it is troubling when you see uh, the Premier of Quebec saying it would be suicidal to bring more uh, immigrants yeah. into the province. When you have the Premier of Ontario pleading with Justin Trudeau to, to open the floodgates. We have 340,000 unfilled jobs here in Ontario. They're pleading with Ottawa to bring in more people. And then you have, you know, a, a, a few hours down the 401, you have a situation where people are saying, no, no, we, we don't want more immigrants. I, I don't think, yeah. I don't believe He's Mr. Legault actually believes that. I don't think he, how could he? Yeah, he says it would be suicidal to bring more than 50,000. Uh, yeah. Okay, just in the last couple of minutes, Tom, what, what's the biggest surprise we may see tonight that you're looking for on your political radar screen? Well, the Parti Québécois that had been around for more than 50 years was basically dead and buried. Uh, they were expected to win at most one seat in uh, Matapedia, uh, out uh, in Gaspé Way. And lo and behold, their young leader, Paul Saint-Pierre Plamondon, we love these 
hyphenated names here in the province, uh, did an absolutely astounding job. He was unbelievable in his performances in the debates, deeply knowledgeable, very respectful of others. Now, you don't have to agree with his politics to recognize a very skilled young politician, and he did very well. The other young leader, Gabriel Nadeau-Dubois, heads up the other separatist party, because we're not satisfied to just split everything up in Quebec. We even split up the separatist party. The other one is called <laughs> Quebec Solidaire, and he's expected to do well. I think that Dominique Anglade, she's the only woman, of course, leader, and of course the only woman of color to have ever led a party here in Quebec, I think that she's going to be able to hold on to official opposition status, mostly because her vote is very efficient. It's concentrated right. in Montreal and in mostly in the western part, so she should be able to hold on. Another upstart, total surprise, out of nowhere, the Conservatives of Eric Duhem. They were nowhere for over 100 years here in Quebec, and now all of a sudden they're in the 15 to 17 percent range. Quite a feat. Uh, Joyce, big surprise, or what are you looking for finally? Well, I'm looking at those numbers. I want to see how many seats Monsieur Legault gets, despite all those things on immigration, which I find extremely offensive. And also, um, I'm like uh, like Tom. I think the the Parti Québécois, we call him PSPP because his name is so long. He uh, did really well, and you don't have to agree with his politics. But I think the National Assembly would do well to have a couple of those uh, younger politicians just to refresh it a bit, and uh, maybe we can get off the picking on on immigrants and getting into real problems. Even the acronyms in Quebec politics, PSPP, is longer than most people's names. Uh, okay, I got to leave it there. Uh, Tom, I know you're out in the beat there. Uh, Joyce, uh, Robert Benzie, I can't, I'm calling you Robert Benzie for your mom. Uh, I just want to dance. <laughs> and of course, Tom Mulcair. Uh, listen, thanks to the three of you. Uh, just before we go tonight, I just want to remind you we'll have special coverage of tonight's results live as they come in. CTV News Channel will be simulcasting CTV Montreal's wonderful Quebec election 2022 special tonight. That begins very shortly at 8 p.m. Eastern. You better check that out. It's very excellent. Before we go, just let me take one moment to address the tiny little elephant in our studio today. Uh, earlier today, I did announce that I would be taking a new job in New York City as a publisher of G Zero Media and a member of the management committee at something called Eurasia Group, a nonpartisan group. So I will be leaving CTV and Power Play and Question Period at the end of this week. And I'll say a few more thank yous then, not a boring list, but a few, like to Joyce, who's sitting beside me and co-hosts the show on Friday and hosts the show on Friday. But today, let me just say quick, four words define CTV news to me, family, dedication, facts, and audience. This is a family. A whole hardworking team from top to bottom, every single person that works here. I was welcomed as a family here seven years ago, and it's, I'm happy to say I'll remain a part of the family as a special correspondent on CTV News, commenting and reporting on major political news. This is a family totally dedicated to getting the facts right and getting them fast. Years ago, I asked the great Lloyd Robertson, what's the secret to CTV News? And he said instantly, we're first fearless and friendly. First with facts, fearless in reporting, friendly to audiences. And the last word is you, is key, the audience. It's all about serving an audience, listening to you, getting it right for you. So thank you for your engagement in politics, for the ideas that shape this country. Your passion and dedication holding elected officials to account is the cornerstone of democracy. Thank you so much. I'll have a little more to say on Thursday, but for now, thanks to you, thanks to the crew, to my dear friend Joyce, and to everyone, it has been an honor. I'll see you back here on Thursday.